Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's December 2nd, and it's early in the morning here. Got a, another busy day ahead. We had a long day in the OR yesterday after some emergency surgery the night before. So, hoping that this weekend will be a little restful so we can get caught up a little bit. Hope that you have an opportunity to keep a Sabbath and uh, get some rest this weekend. Listen, it's December 2nd. Yesterday I told you we were going to start what we're going to call dry December, and that a lot of times refers just to alcohol, but but specifically I'm referring to our, our theme verse for New Thing November was Isaiah 43, where God says, see, I want to do a new thing. Forget the former things. I'm doing a new thing. I want to make streams in the wilderness. I'm going to wake away where there is no way. And so some, sometimes we get in our lives and it starts to feel like, it's impossible for anything to change. I see it every day in the office. People have been hurting for so long. They've given up hope. They don't think there's any possibility it could get better. They've got a fatal diagnosis. They've got a situation in their life that just isn't going to get better. And I'm just here to tell you, friend, that there is a way. God has promised us that he's got a path and a story for you. It may not look like you think. He, he may not take your cancer away. He may not mend that relationship. He may not do the thing that you think he needs, that, that you need, but he's got a plan, and if you submit your will to his plan, it's good for you. He, his promises and his purposes and his ways are good for you. Well, we've got 30 days left in the year, so I, I just want to give you a grace, a free day. Yesterday was December 1st, but there's 31 days in December, okay? There's 31 days. So if you didn't start with us, if you didn't figure out yet what it is that needs to dry up in your life so God can make a new way for you, so God can open up a possibility, a new plan, a new path, a new purpose for you, or if, even if you just haven't figured out what it is that's making you so tired and you're just tired of being so tired, today's the day. You can start today. There's 30 days left in this year. Now, James Clear writes an email every week. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and he sends out an email every week that I've sent to you before. But he's always got just these little nuggets of, of quotes from somebody or quotes from his book or some little thoughts. And there's two yesterday that I thought were worth mentioning to you today. So we have 30 days left in this year. He has a question at the end of his email, and here it is. Yesterday, James Clear said this, There is one month left in the year. Most people are ready to coast to the finish line, but one good month can make the whole year feel like a success. What can you do? in the next 30 days to build momentum and finish the year on a high note? That's a great question, friend, because here's one thing that's going to happen. If I look out the uh, my window when the sun comes up in a little bit, we're about 20 or 30 yards from the bank of the, from the south bank of the North Platte River in North Platte, Nebraska. And that river is flowing according to a plan and a place and a path that God has set out. And it's not, you can't make it change with just by ignoring it that river is going to go where it's going to go that river is going to flow and run where it wants to go right so james clear had his quote about a river journalist hal boyle uncertainty what makes a river so restful to people is that it doesn't have any doubt it is sure to get where it's going and it doesn't want to go anywhere else so here's what i want you to think about with rivers as we're talking about 30 days left in the year, right? That North Platte River is going to go where it goes. And if it decides it wants to shift and, and erode into the bank, it's going to do that. But in our property, this river is going to stay where it is, at least as far as the South Bank goes. And I'll tell you why. Years ago, the previous owner of this place, our good friend Dale Margaret's, reinforced the river bank, almost the whole mile of the property that we have on the, on the river, the south bank of the river. He reinforced it with concrete and tons and tons of dirt and sod. This river bank is reinforced. 
and that river is going to stay in that channel. It is not coming onto this land. There may be a flood from time to time or whatever, but the riverbank, unless the Lord does something different or somebody comes and blows up all that reinforced concrete, that riverbank is staying where it is. So the, the river's not coming onto this land, okay? It's going to stay where it is. What I want you to think about is there are some rivers in your life, friend, that, that feel like they are always going to be where they are. You, you've maybe given up. You can't change it. This habit, this this thing, this relationship, this problem, this issue, this shame, this thing in the past, this thing you can't seem to overcome. It, it feels like a river that will always roll on and on and on, and you can't stop it, and you're powerless, and it's eroding further and further into your life. And I'm just here to tell you. You, that that will be true for you unless you decide to do what Dale did, unless you say, I'm building up this this concrete. I am going to take back some ground. I'm going to reinforce this. I'm going to say no to that river moving any further into my life. I'm going to push back. I'm going to take action, and I'm going to defend my territory or expand my ground or hold my ground or whatever, however, whatever metaphor you want to put on it. Dale said, I don't want that river taking up my backyard. I don't want that river eroding onto my property. I'm going to fix it where that can't happen. I'm going to put up a wall, and that river's going to—I'm going to say no to that river's power. Well, friend, the river that feels like it's inevitably rolling through your life, and it's going to go where it's going to go. you got 30 days left in this year to figure it out, dry it up, let God do a new thing, okay? And it's time. And the good news is as far as our bodies go— we're designed to heal. Your, your bodies are not designed to break down and fail. Now, of course, we get older and aging happens and all that, but this, the science is clear. Your body has incredibly powerful restorative processes. And a year or so ago, I did an interview with two authors, Jenny McLaren and Bim Kuliat, about their book, Designed to Heal. It was a beautiful book that Tyndale released, and it was just a great conversation. I'm going to give you that today in lieu of a new Friday conversation. I don't have an interview, a new interview for you today. We're working on some great ones coming up. But I want to bring you back this interview because it's it's a great conversation with two brilliant scientists and me. And I'm, just, <laughs> I'm also a scientist. I'm not going to claim that I'm brilliant. But we had a wonderful com- conversation about the human body and about science and how we're designed to heal so it is not inevitable friend that you're just doomed to break down and fail you've you've got opportunities to help yourself get healthier and feel better and be happier and one of the things you can do with that is to start today you can change your mind and change your life one more quote that james clear had in his email yesterday is this every thought is it's a quote from writer lucy mallory Every thought a person dwells upon, whether he expresses it or not, either damages or improves his life. Every thought either damages or improves your life. Well, that sounds a little bit like Scripture, doesn't it? A little bit like 2 Corinthians 2, 5, where Paul said, We take captive every thought. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up, up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient. Listen, that's your choice for the rest of this year. Start today. If you didn't start yesterday, you have a grace day, a free day, but you've got to start today. I'm coming after you. you got to, you got to start with us. If you want to feel better and be happier and become healthier, you got to take captive of your thoughts. you got to find those places where the river has run rampant, and you got to build up the riverbank like Dale did, and you got to say this far and no farther. It's time to go. And the good news is you've got a body, you've got a mind, you've got a spirit that's designed to heal, and you've got a great physician that wants to help you do that. If you've been unable to shake some things that have been holding you back in your life, 
He wants to make you hungry and thirsty for something else. He wants to help you. We're going to have a good conversation. We're going to roll into this now. There's some music from Paul Belash, one of my all-time favorite worship albums from Paul Belash. And we're just going to we're going to spend a little time with these two brilliant scientists today. And I want you to take today and figure out where that riverbank needs to get built up, where you need to change your mind, what thoughts you need to take captive of. I want you to change your mind and change your life. And I want you to start today. I got an interesting email from a publisher, not my publisher. So I've, I've been published by Zondervan in 2014 with no place to hide. Then I was published by Waterbrook, which is a division of Penguin Random House, in 2020 with, with I've seen the end of you. And I'm, I'm used to publicists from inside our publishing house reaching out to me and saying, hey, I have a one of our authors that's getting ready to release a book and there's some great stuff that I think it would line up with your audience. And would you mind featuring them on your podcast? We did that, of course, with John Stonge uh, in his book, Talk to Yourself Like God Talks to You, which is a great book, um, actually called Dwell on These Things. That was the subtitle I mentioned, Dwell on These Things. John Stonge, great book that you, a lot of listeners, and I'm sure you heard it. It was a great episode. If you didn't hear John Stonge, go back and check that one out. Dwell on these things. And then we had Pastor Jarrett Stevens, who's written this amazing book called The Always God, which really has been helpful to me as I've been preparing my heart as I'm writing my new book. The Always God's been a great, great reminder that God is always God, no matter what you're going through or what it feels like. So Jarrett Stevens was a great guest that really helped a lot of my listeners. And if you've heard that episode, it probably benefited you a lot. And if you haven't, I would highly encourage you to go check out Jarrett Stevens' episode, The Always God, just a few weeks ago. But this is the first time that I've ever had another publisher that I've never published with, don't know anything about Tyndale House. I mean, I know about them, but I don't know anybody from them. But they reached out and said, hey, we've got a book coming out that we think you and your podcast listeners would be interested in. And I, the first thought I had was, oh, great. I don't have time for this. You know, I've got a lot going on. But I read the email, and, and what caught my attention, besides the very nice email that uh, Mariah uh, Leon, Mariah Leon from Tyndale sent me, uh, just a very kind email, but it also has a quote right up at the top from Philip Yancey, who has endorsed this book. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm really a big fan of Philip. He's a good friend. He's done a lot for me. And so for him to have his name associated with this book just made me take a moment to go ahead and read through this proposal. The book is called Designed to Heal. What the body shows us about healing wounds, repairing relationships and restoring community. Now, if our bodies instinctively know how to heal physical injuries, could they also help us understand how to restore painful emotional and relational ruptures? And that caught my attention. So this idea is that you know God has put these healing processes in our body. As soon as you get cut, for example, a bunch of stuff physiologically starts happening in your body. And it's it's powerful process to stop the bleeding and then begin to heal that wound. And you don't have to think about that. Your body is designed to heal. Your body's not designed to be a walking wounded. You are not supposed to have to hold pressure on that wound the rest of your life. But that's what happens to us emotionally sometimes. It's what happens in our systems, our, our churches, our families. Sometimes wounds happen and they don't heal because we don't let them. But you're designed to heal. Whatever you're going through, friend, God wants you to be able to heal from it and have a new, more abundant life past that pain and past that trauma. And so this book kind of caught my attention that they've taken this metaphor of all the healing things that happen inside the body and applied them on a broader spectrum. The authors are Jenny McLaren, who's a pediatrician, just an amazing lady, and then Dr. Cymbeline Cooliot, who they call her BIM, Cymbeline, and, and 
Dr. Kuliat is a geneticist. She's a cell biologist, biochemist, amazing researcher, scientist, entrepreneur, um, just doing all kinds of great uh, things. She was involved in the Human Genome Project, and and these two ladies have gotten together to write this amazing book, and it really is something that I think would benefit you. So we're going to have a wonderful conversation with Dr. Jenny McLaren and Bim Kuliat today on the podcast. We had a, just a great conversation, uh, really covered a lot of ground, um, emotional healing physical healing, um, the way God has designed our bodies in such an amazing way. And I just think it was a, a wonderful introduction from uh, Tyndale. I'm really excited to bring these two guests to you. And I have a feeling that we're going to be talking, the three of us, more in the future because there's some ways in which our ideas and experiences and and um, and the things that we write about kind of collaborate, uh, would, would naturally form a collaboration. So I feel like there's going to be some future uh, podcast episodes and maybe some uh, other interactions with these two. So stay tuned for that. I think you're going to enjoy this uh, episode a lot. It's Designed to Heal with Jenny McLaren and Bim Kuliat uh, here on the podcast today. Before we get to it, though, I'm really excited. I have been many times kind of felt led to share some music or share some uh, parts of, of something from the internet with you on the show and I've not done it because I didn't understand how licensing and copywriting worked and I finally figured it out. There's a, two organizations that control most of the licensing um, of music and performing arts and it's BMI and ASCAP and I found there's a, a, an ability to purchase a license for um, podcasters so I actually now am fully licensed to share music with you and sometimes that'll be important and so today in the middle of this episode while we're talking and dwelling on healing i want to stop for a minute and i want to share a song from paul balash with you what a good god because i think it'll be a good moment for you to reflect on some of the things that you're hearing and just take a few minutes and worship a little bit and get your mind on this areas of your life that you might need some healing in and so once in a while, I'll bring you some music or something that's applicable to the episode, but now we're fully licensed and able to do that. And that happens because of the patrons of the podcast. We now are able to have people come alongside us and partner with us to be able to expand the things that we offer you uh, through here on the podcast so that we can have uh, music and other things available to expand the experience. And I just hope that it's a blessing to you. We are going to dive into how our bodies are designed to heal this morning and you're going to learn a new way to think about the processes of your body and all the amazing things that god has done to design you fearfully and wonderfully in his image friend you're not designed to hurt forever you're not designed to wound to be wounded forever you're designed to heal but if you want to heal you have to start today hey are you ready to change your life if the answer is yes there's only one rule you have to change your mind first And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. 
please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Okay, friend, we're back. I'm so excited. I've got two amazing guests here with us on the podcast today. Jenny McLaren and Symbol and Kuliat, who we're going to call BIM today, are here with us. And they have written a beautiful book called Designed to Heal. It's got an endorsement from Philip Yancey. It's coming out in a couple of days. And this is a book, uh, the subtitle, What the Body Shows Us About Healing Wounds, Repairing Relationships, and Restoring Community. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So glad um, that you've written this book and that you've put it out into the world and, and just really prayerfully um, excited about what it's going to do for people. And i very glad to have both of you with us today. Um, would one of you like to say a word of prayer as we get started? I'll do it, please. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for gathering us today. I think it's your orchestration that a neurosurgeon and a pediatrician and a molecular biologist has this conversation today. So we thank you and we we pray that you'd be with us as we speak and that this um, this conversation would be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Ben, you go first. Um, I'm a scientist. And uh, my field is molecular genetics, and I get to study uh, DNA, genes, proteins, cells, really look at the details of how biological processes happen in our bodies. Uh, I don't deal with human patients like Jenny, so I deal with like cultured human cells and mice and, um, you know, animal model systems. Um, And my field of expertise is actually in looking at when tissue is injured, how does it heal? And how? what can we do so that we can regenerate tissue to what it was before it was injured? So that's my current field of expertise. I'm the, uh, I worked for a while in uh, Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And now for the past 10 years, I have been the chief scientist for a biotech corporate, uh, corporation that's trying to develop products so that we can heal tissue well. Wow. So from uh, from the bench to the marketplace. Yeah, to the marketplace, exactly. How about you, Jenny, Dr. McLaurin? Sure, Jenny. Um, I am a pediatrician, as you said, and um, I went into that because I loved that little children did mostly heal, and most yeah. of them were incredibly resilient and uh, could be fully healthy after some pretty tough things. And we just helped guide that along as pediatricians um, focused on health, really, uh, rather than disease for the most part. And um, I always wanted to serve uh, children who had a hard time getting served by others. So I've done foreign uh, mission work. I've worked in India and um, in some other countries. And then I've also worked always in public health in the United States with marginalized populations, migrant children, homeless children, indigenous children, remote children, <laughs> and special needs children now who are zero to three um, and are in early intervention services. And along the way, I also, I got an, a master's in public health and a master's in uh in theology of culture from Regent in Canada. And uh, so along the way, I 
incorporated more of a public health population stance to my work and did a lot of policy and program advisement sort of thing, looking at populations instead of individuals. So Bem goes tiny, tiny, and I go really wide and uh, it works. (laughs) It works together. I love it. I love it. How did the two of you come together? I'll answer that. I was giving a um, bioethics uh, seminar in Tennessee and Bem was one of the attendees and it was set up by uh, somebody who is a mutual friend of us both. And we hadn't met before, but my session was called Faithful Medicine because I really wanted Christians to be concerned about how we use medicine in our culture and that we don't use it as just a secular commodity, but that we saw the the faithfulness of God in, in the body and, and healing and in our own use. And Ben was there and we just chatted um, in between sessions and she started telling me about herself, her faith and what she saw as a scientist. And it was, it just captivated me. And I wished I could have sat down and just listened to her talk instead of me talk. That started it. Bem, you can say whatever you want about that. Yeah. So, and this may be the first time, Jenny, you would also know, as as Jenny and I have walked through this book, we've actually known about each other deeper and wider. So that time in my career was when I just, Retired. I took an early retirement from Oak Ridge National Lab after working there for 10 years because I was about to join and work on this biotech company, take the discoveries I had at ORNL uh, in order to create products for uh, for tissue healing. And my friend, because it's Jenny, you were teaching doctors and nurses. I'm not a doctor or a nurse, but our mutual friend said, hey, Bem, you're retired. Surely it can't be an excuse that you have no time. Why don't you? We really think you and Jenny are going to hit it off together. They know us each very well. And so really it was um, that time we're listening to Jenny. And again, I could listen to her and talk to her for hours that what she, what she um, shared that uh, that weekend, the, the um, lecture that I think really got at me was when he she told the history of how Christians have contributed to science and nursing and medicine. And I sat there thinking, I didn't know how rich the contribution of Christians were into healing as a profession. And, and I was like, wow, you know, I've, I've, you know, the church has been battered with so many things. It's like she made me so proud, so proud yeah. to be a Christian. And and seeing where my science also goes, because she's the one applying products and processes from science. And I saw how much that was doing. And a woman who had kind of put together her faith and medicine. And for the first time in a very long time, I was so proud to be a Christian. Oh, that's beautiful. That was the, I think, my first connection with her, with Jenny. That's really beautiful. And that's a great... Um, little nudge to all of us, you know, we, we shouldn't have our faith in a silo, or, or excluding our occupation. I mean, the 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 word says in in Colossians, right? Whatever we do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. So, I love that testimony that you're giving of how you have tied your occupations to your faith. And um, Jenny, can you give us a little thumbnail sketch of that uh, history of how Christians have contributed to science? Is that off the cuff doable? Well, sure. Well, yeah, in terms of science, it's huge. In terms of medicine, um, one of the things that probably most people don't know is that the fact that Christianity was so involved with the physical and with healing 
people and particularly people who are considered untouchable, um, the unclean, the people with Hansen's disease or leprosy, the bleeding woman, all the marginalized, that fact went really deep in the first two centuries, first three or four centuries of Christianity. And it was one of the central reasons for its growth, for its exploding growth, because people had never seen anything like it before. Other uh, And other times, other religions um, and cultural may lose. Uh, it was the survival of the strong. So you'd put weak children out to die at the pillar. Uh, it was men, you know, boys over girls. So you'd let baby girls die. Uh, if you were crippled or lame, you were, you know, a sinner and an outcast. And Jesus kind of said, you know, that's not true. And then um, so there was this explosive growth in Christianity because people were just drawn to it because it allowed people to be human in their bodies in a particular way, in an incarnational way that had never been seen before. And the very first hospitals, uh, which means hospitality, were set up by Christian monks. Um, so St. Basil the Great set up this big hospital and and um, the early nuns and stuff, and some of them still exist. They're, they're pretty cool to see. Hospice was started by a Christian woman. Um, so that care for the body, that nurture of the body went from very early Christianity. Almost all hospitals were religious hospitals until the Industrial Revolution. So um, it's only in, in our past hundred years that medicine hasn't been almost purely a ministry. Mm, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I just read a book. Um, John Dixon wrote a book called Bullies and Saints, and it's the history of sort of Christianity and, and how um, the church has been involved in some bad things, but also some yeah. really, really good things. And he covers that ground of how the church started, really started hospitals and public hospitals and, and hospices. And yeah, it's a really cool story. So yeah. we're not all so bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're getting beat up right now in the press a lot. Right. So to talk about, Bim, talk about wound healing for a minute. What happens when somebody say cuts their arm? Like what happens in the body over the next five to, uh, you know, immediate time for the next few days? How, how do we put ourselves back together? So, um, we we go through each of the stages in the book. And so some people make it three stages, uh, some four. And I'm going to do the four that we do in the book. So the first um, immediate response of our body when we are injured and we have a wound is for clotting. And that has a complex mix of a lot of proteins coming together in order to stop the bleeding. And basically the function of that first stage is to preserve life so that you don't you don't bleed to death. And most people look at it and don't realize just how many proteins need to come and sort of form a mesh so that bleeding would stop and would preserve uh, preserve life and not for things to get any worse. The, the, the um, scientific progress, I think, that most people don't know is that it's not just to plug the blood. That that mesh that comes together that plugs the blood is also laying a transitional framework so that the next stage, which is inflammation, where cells come in in order to eat up bacteria and debris, cells that are dying, can be cleared out so that you can lay the next stage for 
for tissue formation. So there is actually a provisional matrix in that mesh to allow the next stages and also signals coming out so that, you know, more cells can come in and go to the next phase, which is really inflammation, which is inherently a very defensive, uh, is the defense of the body in order to clear out bacteria and, and dead tissue. And then inflammation is not just a one time, you know, when you're looking at inflammation, that also changes. At the beginning, a lot of it is defensive and clearing. Towards the end, the types of cells that are there actually change so that these are the cells that prepare for the next stage, which is uh, tissue formation. Yeah. New tissue has to be built. Uh, depending on where the injury is, you need blood vessels to bring in nutrients, to bring in oxygen, to bring in more signals. You also need new nerves so that whatever new tissue is being made can sense um, and can respond. So that is a very complex and much longer stage than the other stages. And that's really the stage where I actually made some of the discoveries that, you know, chapter seven and that part talk about what's remarkable at that third stage of new tissue formation and maturation is that there is a secretion of what's called an extracellular matrix. It's a complex mixture of molecules. They hold cells together in the right orientation to each other in 3D. But it's not just a glue that holds the new cells together so that, you know, you have the heart will, you know, the heart muscle will beat or that you have cartilage being flexible and strong or that you have a nice muscle after you have a wound. It's not just the 3D orchestration of those cells, but it's actually a medium through which cells talk to each other so yeah. that they can perform the function, whatever they were before, whether it's going to be muscle or cartilage or, you know, or bone or, or heart muscle. So that stage is just remarkable. And that's where most of my work has actually centered in this extracellular matrix that is so complex and diverse and constantly communicating so that new tissue can be formed, it can be mature, and then it will function. And then in the last stage would be uh, in... In adult bodies, um, the default pathway is scarring. It's a survival mechanism of the body where you need to scar, um, and that that can take also for a while. But that scar allows, um, you know, that site of injury to still continue being part of the body, but there is some healing that has already happened. A lot of that scar can be revised over time. So those are basically the four stages that Jenny and I uh, talk about in the book as the fundamental stages of how you get from an injury to scarring. Today, and scientists like me are working on how do we, how, what do we do and what can we do so that you don't form scar? Because scar can be damaging too. You can have bad scars. And if it is in your brain, in your heart or in your lungs, scarring can kill you. So it's not just scarring is going to be, everything is going to be fine. So scientists like me are figuring out ways where how can we take from that initial injury, make products so that we heal and really recover normal functional tissue. Wow. Yeah, there's, it's, it's amazing to me. And I don't think most people, if you don't have the blessing of getting to work in science, I don't think most people get to see this. But for me, th this divide that's, that's largely fictional between science with a capital S and faith with a capital F, mm -hmm. this divide that the public thinks there is, um, for me, throughout my entire career, every time we've improved our technology so I could look a little bit deeper, I'm more amazed at how organized everything is. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how yes. designed it is and how 
how not random it is. Okay, we're going to take a little break here, and I'm going to play a song from Paul Balash called What a Good God. I want you to just spend a few minutes reflecting on the processes that God has put inside your body. This good God wants you to heal, friend. You are designed to heal. So in the light of all the things we've been talking about with these two brilliant doctors, I want you to think just for a few minutes about some places in your life where maybe you haven't let God apply his design and maybe you haven't allowed this healing process to go or maybe you're just so scarred up and beat up from life that you don't feel like you can heal. But I want to encourage you, you're designed to heal. We have a good God who's a great physician and he wants you to heal. So spend a few minutes thinking about some places in your life that you might need some deeper healing and just let Paul Balash minister to you for a few moments with what a good God.
Okay, let's step back into this interview. I hope you found some areas in that song, during that song, where you can pray into the rest of this interview and let God just deep reach out and heal you in those places that are really hurting, friend. We'll get back to the interview right now. And so I guess maybe both of you could talk about that for a second. Like, has your faith increased as a result of what you do for a living, or has it been a challenge to be a scientist who's also a Christian? I'll say absolutely. My faith has. um, My adult faith sort of um, came to be at about the same time that I started medical school. So uh, they were both growing at the same time. Um, But over and over, I I really um, disagree with anybody who thinks that um, God is a God of the gaps or just in the margins. And so like you're a neurosurgeon and you can operate, but if there's a problem, you know, we'll pray for God to swoop in and, and uh, sort of magically fix what you can't or miraculously, I should say. And it's not to say that I don't believe in miracles. I do. But I also think some of what we're discovering, it's like so cool that God led us instead of um, making it so that we didn't really need to discover anything. It was all right there in front of us, like a blueprint that we could follow. But instead, Bem has talked about, and I I see it too, (laughs) ways in which we're invited in to God's creation and what we do. And we're invited to behold something. She sometimes for the first time of anybody in the universe. I mean, not usually that way, but we're invited to behold something that is deeper and higher and more beautiful than we knew before. And that happens all the time in medicine. It's a holy and thing. It is a holy thing. It's a holy thing to to not know whether somebody's going to make it out of toxic shock and live and be fine or whether this is their last night on earth. I mean, I remember standing at the bedside of a girl with that. She did live. And, um, but it is a holy thing. It's a space that we're invited to inhabit. And um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to, I could say way too much on this, but it has absolutely increased my faith. And I think um I understand as I get older, my hair gets grayer, but other things do too. I'm I'm much more open to mystery than I was when I was young. Yeah. So I understand that there's a mystery involved with God and with medicine and that we're never going to know everything about either. And I don't believe that when we die and we see him face to face and that all our answers are going to be given, like some people say, I think we're not going to care. Yeah. I think we're going to we're going to be so overwhelmed and wowed that we're going to realize that some of our questions don't make sense anymore um, in light of what is true and beautiful and good about God. So that's how I see it. And that's how my faith grows. I see more and more of what is true and beautiful and good in places that I didn't used to see it. That's beautiful. So, Lee, uh, fr- from my perspective, And that was actually the question that Jenny asked me. After our meeting in Knoxville, she asked me to be the resident scientist for her Templeton grant where, you know, we were teaching pastors uh, that science can strengthen faith. 
um, and also how they could minister to scientists. And so she didn't give me a topic. She said, Ben, why don't you just talk to these pastors and show them a science and how this science is affirming to your faith? And so I said, oh, easy, because, you know, I was already starting my company and we had looked at, we had wounding studies in, you know, in mouse and rats, in confluent cells, you know, in, in the dish. And I said, oh, easy, you know, we've been looking at wound healing and it's remarkable to me that kind of orchestration and beauty uh, and just how exquisite this whole process is to get us from a wound into a, even a scar. Um, and I said, I'll talk about that because you know that's where what I'm working on. And but at the same time, it was affirming to my faith just because I was like Jenny said, there's just wonder and awe when you look at this. You know, in the Bible, there's a lot of worshipful wonder and awe with the heavens. Yeah. There's a lot of looking at flowers and things like that. But those were what at that time they could see. But today our tools are so powerful that we could look at effects of genes, we could look at proteins, we yeah. could look at cell types from any organism. And so we're, there's still the wonder and all, but now God has opened up just because of science, all of this, this world. And that's what I, I told the pastors that it was affirming of my faith. Uh, for that reason, I, I know, you know, I'm beholding God's power and I'm beholding his, um, you know, what um, these remarkable biological processes. But thinking now when we wrote this book and Jenny invited me to do this work, I think that it's very fundamental, that wonder and awe. Something changed when Jenny invited me to co-author this book is that it became more than, oh, that's wonderful. That's incredible. Praise God for this wonder that she actually took deeper, you know, the science that I knew and we started looking more into, oh, wow, this healing process, this could be, you could extract insights from it, that this design, you know, embedded in our bodies is also useful for healing the non-physical wounds of our life. That didn't just take an instant, oh, that's wonderful. It took a little bit more thinking, you know, and, and sharing. Um, and so I think that this was this, uh, journey of writing this book was really a gift to me because it took me from wonder and awe into really I believe knowledge and wisdom does that make sense absolutely that, you know from wonder and awe into knowledge which is scientific knowledge medical knowledge into wisdom because I think that that's what's being taught uh, at least when Jenny and I discuss you know this process and showing how God has done healing in our own lives and how we strongly believe that what we have learned from this incredible process, there is knowledge and wisdom there that could be used so people heal some of the deep woundedness in their own lives. I love that segue, that, that this idea that you can see something and, it, and God gives you a metaphor yeah. to use it to help somebody in a different way that only you could have had that insight because of the whole previous life experience that you've had. It's just beautiful what y'all have done here. Philip Yancey said, this is a rare combination of vivid science, compassionate storytelling, and lasting spiritual lessons. A delight to read. That's big praise from Philip Yancey. <laughs> so, I don't know. Do, do you know Philip, either of you personally? No. Um, Lucy Shaw, who wrote our foreword, is... Um, I, I don't know at what level friends, but she, she knows him. And um, she thought the work reminded her of what he had done with Dr. Brandt. And Brand, yep. we both had, Bem and I both had known that earlier work. Um, 
and there's some similarities and there's a lot of differences, but yep. anyway, um, she, Lucy contacted him and we were blown away by his generosity and response. And I know he responded to you as well. Yep. Um, just like how in the world, this man who's so busy and has so much going on would respond to a, an email, but he did. And he was on the phone with us for about an hour early on in the process. Um, and I loved it because he, yeah, I loved his, A, I was blown away that he, he read what we sent, but B, he said, your blank chapter, it's no longer the first chapter it was at that point. Your blank chapter is a masterpiece. It's perfect. I love it. Your other chapter, which no longer exists in the book, is terrible. <laughs> it's like, terrible. Don't do and, that. Not good. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's really awful. And, um, Perfect for Philip. And it was really nice because Bem and I both thought it was awful too. But we didn't, we didn't know what to do with it. And he said, well, just tell the publisher that you think it's awful. They'll probably think it's awful and they'll help you figure out what to do with it, which they did. That's but yeah, he was... Um, we just omitted it, but he, you know, when it's your own little thing that you're it's developing, you, you can't, you, you can't figure out that you can omit it. But anyway, that's book talk. This is book talk, but he was so generous and has continued to be in terms of responding to an email or if we tell him thank you or whatever. I mean, you know, some people I, I just will love it. a time of day. I love when people are consistent with their characters. So I'll tell you yeah. a, little, a little short story about me. My very first book was a, a self-published little collection of stories from my experience in the Iraq war. And I wrote it for my friends and family. And I was following Philip and had exchanged some emails with him about some other things. And he was gracious to write back. Um, and he had written a blog post about the Iraq war and how he was opposed to it ideologically on a few things. And I, and I just, I said, Hey, if you want to hear a perspective of somebody who was there, you know, I'll send you my little book and you can read it. And he said, sure. So I mailed it off to him and he called me. we had never spoke on the phone. He called me a few days later and he said, this story needs to be told on a wider level, but you're a terrible writer. Like <laughs> pretty much just like that. Like, like you wrote it, like you wrote it for your mom. I said, well, I did write it for my mom. <laughs> he said, well, write it again and I'll introduce you to an agent. So, I mean, that my whole writing career came about because of that spirit that he shared with you all. So yeah. I love that he's still doing his thing here, you know, 10 years later. Yeah. Cause I told him, I was like, well, I actually hate it at this point. You know, at one point I was just like, I hate this. And he said, oh, good. Then you're almost done. <laughs> almost done. <laughs> so Jenny and Lee, I would have to confess. I'm confessing in this podcast. So I had a deeper link to Philip Yancey. And um, when Jenny told me that Lucy's friend Philip is going, Philip Yancey is going to speak to us, was really the time I knew that God was in the project. And the reason for that, and I didn't tell this to Philip, I wrote it in an email to him later, that that was the moment when I knew that God was in this project, uh, was because when I came to America for the very first time, the first year, I trained to be a scientist at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. I was a time in my life where I was really, my, my faith was very fragile, and that I was, um, there was 
And a part of that was in the book, talking about the history I've had and why God allowed mm-hmm. so much suffering in my life. And I, you know, I was really, in a way, disappointed with God and confused about, you know, why he allowed so much trauma and suffering. And I picked up his book, Disappointment with God. And that was really the book that kind of invited me to a very honest and authentic relationship with God. And I would say it was part of my way back to God in my faith. Um, And so so when I was told by Jenny in an email that it was going to be there, I said, I think God is in this project because I wasn't compelled to write this book, Jenny and Lucy and some folks. But when I started seeing things that Jenny was was writing, I said, oh, my goodness, we do need to write this book. We do need to share some of these things. But so my my Philippiancy connection was really happened pretty much nearly 32 years ago when I picked up his book and it in a way nursed me back to my faith. Um, which I think Lucy helped him with, Jenny. Disappointed. I don't know. I don't know the yeah. story, but yeah, I, I wow. do know that you had that deep connection. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah, it's just a Philippiancy fan club here for a minute. You're <laughs> <laughs> really going to embarrass Phil. him. <laughs> He'll listen to this, I'm sure. So yeah. let me ask you a question. Um, when was the moment that you said, okay, we have this amazing complex wound healing process in the human body. I need to tell people how that can help their life when it's not a, a physical cut, what, what was the first inkling that that was going to happen, that that needed to happen? I know for me, when it was first, it should be a book. I mean, I thought the first time Ben told that story to the pastors, I thought it should be in sermons. It should, people, you know, and I actually put it in a sermon, but I thought the pastors should all put it in sermons. But Ben came to a... Um, gathering that I had, which was not for my birthday. It was my bucket list thing. And anyway, uh, I had this group that I called my soul sisters and she was one of them and I wanted them to all know each other. So they didn't know each other. So I had them all come to a weekend so everybody could know each other because they were so important as people in my own life. And um, I asked them to give a devotional on the wound healing to the group and she did. And I remember specifically, Bem, sitting there very specifically, that when you got to the proud flesh part, I thought this should be a book because I was imagining all these connections in my head. My, my mind was like doing the whole metaphor. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, this is this has so much to it. And also at that time, culturally, we were in such we still are such a terrible place in society with just chronic woundedness and anger and outrage and taking sides and never, never seeming to be a people who showed that God was the God of bandaging up our wounds Mm -hmm. and healing us and being about wholeness. Um, So I think part of it was the, the time and the culture. So Lee, there was there was something different between my devotional and the lectures that I gave 
the pastors in Janice Grant. So when I gave the lecture to the pastor, it was more, here is the process of wound healing and how remarkable it is. In fact, I told them, look at all these stages and how complicated it is. Now you realize that when Jesus reattached the ear, all of these processes happened, <laughs> boom, like that. Yeah. And then it was like they had a better understanding of the miracle that, you know, that happened there because it compressed all of those four stages into just like a moment. Yeah. When I spoke at Jenny's uh, bucket list um uh, retreat, there was something different. There was already a gap of how many years between the Templeton grant and then that retreat with, with Jenny's friends. And during that time, we've been looking, my company has been looking into healing very difficult wounds, like diabetic wounds, wounds where there was a, uh, you know, arterial problem, there was a circulation problem. So I had more understanding of wounds that were really, really difficult to heal mm. uh, from a tissue regeneration perspective. So when I gave the devotion, I talk more about aberrant wound healing. What happens when this beautiful, yeah. exquisite process goes wrong and talked about, and we can get stuck, you know, in inflammation. This is what happens when we're stuck. So I was talking more about the anomalies and how when you're stuck, it is so difficult. And when you're stuck, you can bleed into healthy tissue and it's more problematic than what the initial injury that you have. And I think those were the pictures that, and many women shared about, you know, we shared about woundedness in our lives. And I think that's when Jenny, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, this, she could picture the book. I was afraid when she said, Let's write a book. I, I'm the primary author. I'm going to write it and I'm going to send it to you if it's okay. And I was, I had this sense of fear. <laughs> and, and there were many times in the book when I hope she was going to just stop and quit because it was getting scarier and scarier when we went into, you know, we cannot just be experts in the science and in the medicine. I don't think that, I think our records, her as a doctor and me as a scientist, our records speak for ourselves. But I felt that this book will not be authentic unless we reveal some of our own woundedness and how this process you know, that God has taken us to some of these processes. So, um, so that's kind of like um, the moment is Jenny thought about the book idea. The, the I was more kind of being <laughs> invited into the process, but she's the courageous kind of person who just said, you know, let's do this. And, um, and, and I just, you know, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that um, she did that. Oh, it's a gift. It's a gift to everyone. And, you know, the reason that we're having this conversation right now is that um, this is the first time that a publishing house that wasn't mine has reached out to me to ask me to consider having somebody on my show. Um, Waterbrook and Penguin do it all the time. They say, hey, we got this book coming out and, you know, could you help us out and put this author on your show? And I feel I obviously want to help because they've been so good to me. But this was like a random email from Tyndale and... And Mariah said, hey, we've been listening. We think these two ladies have a book that you would be interested in. And and I was like, dude, I'm busy. Like, I'm tired. You know, I have a lot <laughs> going on. And But I opened the email, and the, I see the Philip Yancey quote, and it's obviously a medicine, and it's healing. And, and I just said, I need to read this. So I asked them for a copy of the book. And then I realized, okay, this is perfect, because my the people who are listening to us right now come to my 
stuff because I write about hard stuff, like the -hmm. stuff that happens in your life that makes you bleed and not Mm -hmm. from your skin, right? Mm -hmm. The stuff that makes you get stuck at some stage of healing and you don't move on because it's so, you're so scarred up from the things that you've been through and the stuff that's so inflamed in your life, you just can't get through it. And so I thought we need to do that. We need to have that conversation here because somebody that's going to hear this today, when it's, when it's released in a couple of days, somebody is going to heal because of the words that y'all speak and hopefully that they will subsequently read. So so take us through that, that devotional piece of it for just a minute for for somebody who's stuck or somebody who's scarred up, somebody who can't quit bleeding. Like just, just give me a minute of that if you don't mind. You want me to start Ben? I can start. So yeah, I, my heart was moving when you said that about people reading it and So to anybody listening, yes, there are personal stories and it was hard to be vulnerable in a book. And I know, Lee, you've been vulnerable in your books. Um, But what I, I think one of the central messages of the book is all healing takes community. All healing takes vulnerability. All healing takes a splain open, if you will, um, a willingness to let the wound be poked and prodded and, um, and a willingness to allow it to go through the hard work of closure and the hard work of closure, it takes time. So the first response is really quick clotting, stop the bleeding. That's what we need to do. Not give advice. Let's say, uh, your spouse just had an affair and you found out, well, your friends don't need to say, well, I thought so because I saw him, you know, sneaking around. That that doesn't help or throw, you know, a party because he's a jerk. No, they there needs to be how devastating a clot. Right. And then the next step would be the inflammation. And it would be mm-hmm. um, where appropriate, you know, righteous anger happens. But it happens in order to call attention to the pain. The pain happens to call attention to the wound and to say, you know what, this is a bad spot here. This needs healing. That's why it hurts. So instead of hiding our wounds from each other, which so many of us do, because we want to look all shiny and good in front of folks, you don't have to go around just awful in front of folks, but there there needs to be discernment. But we were made for community. So um, in Christian community, we should be able to share some of those wounds where we really do need others to enter in. And then the next phase, it, it takes a diverse group of characters and it takes more time. It takes more time than the first two. And that's where most people want to quit. So they stay inflamed. They get chronic inflammation because it's hard to say, okay, I'm not going to keep being angry here. I am going to move to resolution. It's never going to be the way I hoped it would be, but it will be my life. And it will be the way God wants to have me flourish in a new space, in a new look, even with scars. And to be functional again in the body, the body of Christ, the body of community, the body of family, our own physical body. For me, that's those have been the, the messages and that it is a message of hope that we're oriented towards being healed, even healed with scars, even healed limping. We're oriented to be healed, not to be walking around with gaping wounds, not to be the walking wounded, as the soldiers say, right? Yeah. That, that just meant that they could be triaged for a little while. It didn't mean they were supposed to be ignored forever. 
That's right. We're not supposed to be walking wounded forever, maybe for a little bit, but not, it's not a steady state. So I guess for me, that's, I just see that God has so many bigger hopes and dreams for us than we have for ourselves in terms of getting beyond some of those hard things. So I have two, and since this is a conversation not just about, you know, what Jenny and I wrote in our experiences, but um, including what you have done, what you have experienced is um, the most, I think, when I read your books and in relation to what we have written and community being so important in, mm-hmm. in our healing, I think your books illustrate that. But I would like to point out one thing that, you know, jumped at me when I was reading um, No Place to Hide um, is that. We belong to groups, you know, we work with a group, we go to church in a group, we, yep. we do things in groups. They don't actually become community until you choose to be in that community. That's right. There, there is a story in your book that I think spoke to me in that, you know, you've been in Iraq, you've been doing surgeries under fire, you've been, you know, endangered and everything. And you mentioned all of these people. And then the night that you had a conversation with your children and you spoke to your to these people around you about what was going on with your life and how difficult it was and how you needed help. I think was the time that your group in Iraq became your community because you chose to tell them that you were undergoing a, a difficult time and, and you showed to them that, that tenderness or woundedness and that you needed help. You also said something I think that's very critical in this, you know, our concept of community is that in a way you describe how you relied in this group for your survival. Yeah. That's pretty big. And so I think today when I go back to the communities that have helped me go through the healing process and I remember things when, oh, I said that I revealed myself and these people became my community. It's not a group anymore that I do stuff with. It's become my community and I rely on these people. Jenny has those friends. I have those friends. My first text, my first call when when something has happened that, you know, I, I need prayer or I need somebody with a new perspective so that I could, you know, get out of uh, inflammation and anger. And so I think that's worth mentioning. You choose to be in community and to be in community, you need to take the risk of basically burying your scars and burying your wounds, which yep. is that a very pleasant thing to do. So I learned a lot actually from your pictures of what you went through yourself. Thank you. That's the extracellular matrix. Yes. Yeah. And the extracellular matrix, like I'm, I love that image, the healing matrix. I love it. And that is, it's all community, right? And it, it captures us and orients us in a new way to welcome new growth. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, um, I was in the operating room and this person has had terrible um, nerve pain for years, multiple previous surgeries, back surgeries, and, and and could never get to the bottom of why this pain was persistent. And the MRI was sort of vague. There was some pressure on the nerve. And I thought maybe maybe I can just open that nerve up a little bit and relieve the pain. And I'm in there and there's terrible epidural scar tissue all around this L5 nerve root. Just the nerve is just socked in. And I get it kind of get the microscope with this beautiful um, Eschelap 3D microscope and we can zoom way up in 3D and see really great detail of, of the nerve and all the staff have 3D glasses and they're watching on these big monitors. And, and we get the nerve really freed up and it still won't move. 
I still can't get the nerve to move off of the epidural mm. space. And, and I can tell that the, when the person moves their leg, that this nerve is still going to be under a lot of pressure because it can't slide. And finally, I'm able to, to roll this nerve up a little bit. And I can see there's five or six little, probably sub-millimeter bands of epidural oh. scar tissue that are just tethering, tethering this yeah. nerve to the disc space. Mm-hmm. And I take little micro scissors and I cut those. And all of a sudden, the nerve is, is mobile. And it wow. can it becomes yeah. less pink and less swollen. And that's what scar tissue does when yeah. it's in the wrong place, right? It's not just some scar on your arm, but when it's in the wrong place, it creates pain and it creates immobility and dysfunction. And sometimes you have to cut it. Like sometimes you have to do something hard to get rid of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I love that metaphor you'll talk about of just how different stages of wound healing, if you get stuck there, it, yeah. it, you just can't be okay. And this this person, I took the big stuff off, the stuff you could see easily, but until I got those little bitty bands of scar, mm-hmm. they were not going to be okay. Yeah. That is such a cool story. That is a powerful picture. Very nice. Yeah. So what do you hope... Um, what do you hope somebody gets? What's the, the number one thing that you hope a reader gets from this book? Bim. Okay. So I've been asking, I think uh, um, that God has a plan and a design for healing in your life. And that what we share in the book is actually um, you know, some images, some some principles that this could happen. And that's what I'm seeing, that this book will be read by people and there is brokenness and woundedness in the life that God wants to, um, to begin some healing or continue some healing. And some people who will be reading it will have a lot of scars. You just, I think it's a beautiful uh, ending if we're, you know, coming to the end of this conversation, Lee, of your picture of that scar. Scars prevent you from full joy, from enjoying the abundant life that God has for you. That's why some of us bear scars that still need revision. Reading your books made my scars feel a little bit more tender. I told Jenny, I just read Lee's book and I just feel the Lord wants to do more scar revision in my Mm -hmm. life. So I really think people would go away um, thinking and believing that God has a plan for healing in some of the broken spaces of their life and that this book would help and would encourage. And I'll, I'll jump in on that scar thing though, Bam, and say, good thing you have. I mean, it's good that you can feel that again because um, it allows us to be more of who we're meant to be. So mm-hmm. Without any wounding, if we were never wounded, you know, the question is, you know, God is all love. If God, if Jesus never suffered, would God under, would God understand love the way God understands love? Yeah. It's a theological question. But many people think that that is part of, you know, the suffering is, is a necessary aspect of being somebody who's really good at love. That's right. Um, and... So instead of feeling like we're a victim with our wounds, even if we have been a victim, there's always a different way to look at it. And I would hope that people would see that even in hard circumstances and in our social circumstances right now, that we shouldn't, I I think we've dug our trenches, dug our ditches long enough, personally. We have one of the deepest trenches ever in our society, and we need to figure out how to close that 
and how to be able to live together as best we possibly can, maybe with some scars that we'll point to, but, you know, that we're meant to function fully and wholly together and community as the body of Christ and as God's light in the world. And we're not meant to be known as a people of anger. And right now, I think so many non-Christians look at Christians and, and we're even separating ourselves by our identities. Like, Oh, I'm not that kind of Christian, you know, but, but we're identified, we're identified as the people of anger. And Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that you're passive. If you're a person of love, it means that you're, you want to promote healing that has integrity, but healing with integrity does have closure. <laughs> it doesn't just stay open. That That is not an option. So. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, we didn't really cover a lot of that ground, but, but this metaphor of wound healing doesn't just apply to your psychological issues or your marital stress or losing a child or whatever you've gone through. It's also about systems and, and communities mm-hmm. and churches yeah. and societies. And, and you can take it to any sort of application you want and it's still valid it's one of those great metaphors it just holds across all kinds of genres and so i thank you for that i thank you for writing it um tyndale has agreed to give away some copies of the book um so the first four listeners that write in to me lee at drleewarren.com we're going to give you a copy of this wonderful book um, designed to heal and i want to leave you with this um the title is beautiful designed to heal but but i want you to take that home with you you are not designed to just gut it out until you die and then get to go to heaven and be okay you're not designed to just hold a bandage on the wound until it's over you are designed jesus said to to live in this hard world but also to have an abundant and beautiful life and that's going to come with some pain but you're not designed to hurt all the time. You're designed to heal. That was a great title, ladies. Um, I congratulate you on this beautiful book. Um, I look forward to getting to know both of you and maybe having you back on the show to talk about some of these other fascinating things that we've brought up. Um, And I'm going to give your contact info and how to get a hold of you. And we're going to try to hopefully put this book in the hands of a lot of people. Um, It's important. It's timely. Uh, It's definitely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, I thank you both for your time. Any parting words for us? Just well, I want to say thank you. It's thank it's you. so great to meet a fellow um, faithful person in medicine who sees God in everything that you do. So thank you for that. And yeah, I just I I I want to leave people with the idea of of joy. So yeah, God really knowing God is a is a, is a is a joyful thing in all circumstances. Amen. I was just going to say, Lee. Uh, amen. <laughs> amen to all that you said, and and thank you. And I leave with the word of hope, Jenny, leaving with words of joy and hope. But there is hope. There is hope for the woundedness and the suffering and the brokenness that you know we're going through. What a great conversation. I think uh, that was one of the more interesting conversations I've ever had here on the podcast. It's a great book. Check out uh, in the show notes, I'll put the link to their website. You can check out these two brilliant doctors and get to know more about them. And as always, I am so excited to have had you with us today. And I hope that you were able to find some areas in your life where you need to let God apply his design and start that healing process. And if you're going to do it, 
you need to start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.